What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Where we got Alec Mills joining us, the pride of UT Martin, right? In, in a big league guy. Uh, Cup of coffee with the Kansas City Royals, and then how about five years with the Chicago Cubs, right? 66 appearances, just under 40 starts with the Cubs. And uh, Mills, you are now rehabbing an injury, and, and you're set to gear up and go in 2023, right? First of all, appreciate you joining us. What's what's the timetable looking like uh, for you as it stands right now? Well, first of all, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Um, as of right now, I had surgery yeah, I should know this, but a little over three months ago. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I've I've uh, started tossing a little bit. So really, it's just a matter of as long as things go well and things progress well, then I should be good to go for opening day. Uh, so hopefully timed out that surgery right and, and can, can get back on the horse ready to go. Gotcha. Are you going to be full bore at spring? Are you like? Um, I, I think I'll be a little bit behind, but not. Not anything crazy. So you'll be you know? able to, you'll be you'll be able to pitch on opening day, maybe just not built up to six innings. Yeah, I think that's more or less. Yeah, that's probably okay. probably the timeline unless something changes. Yeah, gotcha. Hey, you're currently in free agency right now, dealing with all that. And of course, we've seen some massive dominoes fall over the last couple of weeks. There was, you know, a, a lot of uh, waiting around, like what's going to happen pre-winter meetings, and then the winter meetings really started to get the dominoes moving. And I know. Taylor's perspective, right? He was waiting for uh, a lot of that to, to kind of get started. And once the big ticket guys, you know, go and, and you see those 300 plus million dollar deals, then everything starts to trickle down. So in terms of the timeline for you and for Taylor as well, I guess this is a question for both of you. What are you looking at in, in terms of free agency? Like how is the timeline moving so far? Shoot. Uh, I mean, I'm new to all this. So, uh, but as of right now, I, I, as far as I know, there's some interest, but it, it, anything more than that, that uh, hasn't happened. Uh, you know, I'm kind of holding out for that 10 year deal, you know, 250 million, but you know, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see if that happens or not, but uh, <laughs> player but, options after each price. year, right? Uh, yeah. 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 No, I uh, told, I told Iowa a few years ago that I would have signed a 10 year, like a 10 year, like 10 year, 2 million to stay in Iowa, uh, be the mayor. Nice. I would have run for mayor also. Well, um, well, you would have won. I mean, it's yeah, I it was so. a given. Yeah, Jack, we haven't talked about that, but I actually, I actually, uh, so you know, I had the the moniker of the mayor in Iowa in Des Moines, and I actually looked into what it would take to to run and win the mayor of Des Moines. I heard it was um, self proclaimed. You were the self proclaimed mayor of Des Moines. No, 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 it was somebody well, it else. Started, it started. It started that way. Don't don't let him yeah, fool you yeah, there, Jack. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got you. Hey, Alec, I want to start at the beginning, man. Um, you know, I growing up in Chicago, uh, watching a lot of Cubs baseball, you know, listening to a lot of Len Casper, his his final call of that no hitter was the former college walk on getting it done. So I want to start when you were at UT Martin, that process like when, you know, it's it's tough because I'm sure that you've kind of dealt with. A, a little bit of imposter syndrome at some point, right? Every professional athlete, hell, anybody in the professional spirit does. But, you know, if you are going to walk on at a Division One school, you have to believe in yourself when not many people do at all. Like maybe it's your family and that's it. So when did you really feel like you had this belief where you could make it to the end goal? Oh, I mean, first of all, 
I had to walk on at the best conference in college baseball. TD knows that, too well about that. That's that's but, right. He was doing uh, well until he had to pitch against Morehead State, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, to answer the question, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't know if I really believed in myself to the extent of I know I can make a career out of this until probably maybe a couple starts into my junior year. Um, you know, I was the Friday night guy my junior year uh, and, and kind of put my name on the map uh, with a couple starts against like Georgia Southern against uh, Victor Roach um, was a big name guy. And Chris Beck with the White Sox was the opposing Speck, starter. I was that say, night. They had another arm there. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, I think that was the first time I really threw in front of a bunch of scouts and, and I threw okay. I think I flashed enough uh, potential to, you know, obviously get on their, get on their radars. But uh, you know, I think it was, like you said, when that happened, it was when I really started believing in myself and, and, and knowing I could make a career out of this. And and I think you hit it on the head. I mean, outside of me and maybe, you know, my wife and, and my mom and dad, even then it was still far, few and far between that really, you know, oh, okay, you know, this guy can do this. this. This guy can make a career out of this. So, you know, it's – and then you, it's funny because when you get drafted, then you kind of start all the way back over again. You're like, oh, and you're all the way back down to rookie ball. Let's yeah. – start this all over again, you know, you're, yeah. you know, number 220 on the totem pole in the organization, yep. you know, for lack of better words. So it's, uh, it's definitely mentally exhausting the whole time. And, and it still is to this day, but uh, I don't think we'd have it any other way. I think, I think like a lot of guys have, I don't want to call it like blind faith, but the belief in the belief in themselves without actually knowing, like, can I play in the big leagues? Like, the big leagues, and I try to tell people this, um, and I think, you know, players definitely get this, but, like, the big leagues is really special. And it, it's really different than anywhere else in the, in the entire world, obviously, in our sport. Um, but, like, I don't think anybody really knows what it takes to get there. Um, I think the guys that get drafted really high, get a lot of money, they have just as much belief in themselves as anybody else. The difference for them is they know that they have uh, the organization – spending an excessive amount of money, you know, a lot of money. Um, so they're going to have a little extra backing. But, like, I think the reality is nobody knows that they're going to get to the big leagues until you are right on the doorstep. You know, you you get to double A, you get to triple A, because that's when you're playing against guys that are either about to be in the big leagues or have already been there. And I think that's when it really clicks, like, man, like, I can do this. I, I'm playing against these guys, um, you know, and, and especially for somebody – you know, like Alec that that came from an area in Tennessee where, yeah, he saw some he saw some really talented players, but day in and day out in high school, he wasn't facing double A arms. He were double A bats and triple A bats. Same with me at Moorhead, I wasn't facing big time arms and 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 calling games against big time bats. Um, so yeah, like I knew myself, I knew what I could do, but I think the reality was that I needed um, the game to show me that I could do it also. Um, and, and I think, you know, thankfully for us, uh, it did. Um, but I don't know. I think, I, th I just think that like the concept that people know they're going to get to the big leagues, like everybody's got faith and everybody wants to get there. Um, but knowing, <laughs> like knowing you can do that, uh, I don't think that really happens until guys get to double A. That's just my opinion. That's just, that's how I feel about it. Got you. Alec, when did you kind of have that like eureka moment? Like, like Taylor's talking about, right? You're just on the doorstep. I mean, I guess kind of I'll answer your question, but then to kind of leapfrog off of his, I mean, it's almost like you need a good combination of 
I guess cockiness is not the right word, but also a lot of ignorance. Like you just need to be kind of so dumb that you don't realize how hard it is or, you know, how many long nights in a hotel room with two other guys you're going to, you know, it's just like, you just, sometimes you just don't even want to know or need to know. And that's what helps. And, you know, to be honest, it's, uh, I guess, I mean, obviously I got called up from double a, um, for, to be the 26th man of a doubleheader. And so then obviously it kind of hit me a little quicker than I, and I would have realized, you know, most people go from double A to triple A and then to the big leagues. Um, so I really never had a, like you said, a eureka moment of like, Oh, I can do this. I can make, like, it was kind of like, Oh my God, I'm going like, it was just like, I mean, obviously I was having success in double A and you know, they saw something in me that, that thought was worthy to be up, you know, that outing didn't go so hot and really the whole rest of that year didn't go so hot with Kansas city, but you know, it's obviously I've, I've turned something into, or I've turned that into something of a career, um, you know, whatever it may be. But, you know, it's just, and and even when you're in double A or triple A and having success, you know, it's still kind of, I don't know if you ever 100% know you're going to go. Like, it's just like, dude, I've just dominated I think... four games in a row, but uh, am I good enough? You know, it's, and but we like, still even that, I still even... battle that every day. Even that statement right there, though, I don't think that statement's understood until you've been in AAA. Because mm -hmm. I've come to the realization, and I tell guys this all the time, you get young guys that show up in AAA, and they're always just like, they're they're banging, or they're throwing really well, and they're wondering, like, why am I not going to the big leagues? What's going on? And, you know, I've now had a chance to play for a team that won a lot of games, and I had a chance to play for a couple of teams that didn't win a lot of games in the season. And the reality is, there is no way to, to tell when you are or are not going to the big leagues. So... It is all about being in the right place at the right time. And I think that's something that as you play longer, you understand that like, look, what me and Alec are doing right now in, in free agency and trying to like decipher, man, like if I have a couple options, like which one is the best one and where do I go? The reality is it's all the crapshoot. And like, we're going to hope that we do our best research and our agents are doing the best job they can. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the best, the best opportunity at the best time. Last year, in, in 2021, I was in AAA with uh, Christian Betancourt, who's obviously played the entire year for a, you know, for a, a team that uh, did really, really well in the Tampa Bay Rays. And I got to the big leagues for like a week. And the only reason that I'm sure like a big part of that was because he was injured. So yeah. like <clears throat> that, I'm not saying that I'm not taking anything away from me, but at the same time, I'm not sure that opportunity happens if he's still, if he's still healthy, Right. Right. Um, and I think that's part of it. Like, it's all about the right time and the right spot. And I want to jump back to something that you were talking about, about being the 220th man and all that. Like, I remember so much my high school, one of my high school coaches telling me when I went to college the first time, because, I, you know, I had guys, there were a couple of guys on my team going to Florida, going to Vanderbilt, a couple of guys getting drafted, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Moorhead State. Like, man, I'm going to be the best guy on this team, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, look, man you're going to get there. And every single guy on that team was the best guy in their city. Every single guy on that team was the best guy in their town and the best guy in their County. And the scary part is, and it's scary. The kids that are listening to this, I don't want it to be scary. It should be, you know, like something that fires you up to keep going, but like you get to pro ball. It's the exact same thing again. Yeah. You were the best kid on your team. You were the best kid on your conference. You were maybe the best kid in your state. So that never changes. You go to, you go to a ball, like, you were the best kid in rookie ball. You go to double A, like, you know, it, it's just, it, and it's incredible how talented the game continues to get. Um, but 
you know, it's all about that belief in yourself. I, I totally, totally believe that. Yeah. Alec, I I'm curious, you know, obviously everybody has these crazy minor league stories and, and just scrolling through some of the stops on the way there. Those are some fun spots, right? Idaho falls. Uh, I think about Wilmington and Mr. Celery, right? The, the Ooh, chuckers. Mr. Celery, then, yeah. How about Mr. Celery in, in Wilmington and all that? And then you go to, you know, Northwest Arkansas too. Um, yeah, I've got, you know, just from like calling games in minor league ball, like I've got one of those classic minor league horror stories of an overnight bus ride that just, you know, went went to crap immediately in in Auburn in the New York Penn League. Like, what is your minor league story? Do you have one? So I, it's very similar. It sounds like of a bus story. Um, this was in Lowell. I was still with Kansas City, so I was in Lexington. Yeah, and we were playing in. I'm not to get this right. We were playing in. Augusta, I believe. Mm, I, I don't know. I'm going to mess that up, but it doesn't really matter. That's not the point. So we're down. We may have been in Savannah. We're down way in Georgia, like muggy, middle of the summer, 100 degrees. At night, it's 100 degrees. Anyways, we get to we get on the bus. I'm not even 20 minutes down the road. We're going up a bridge. There's a bridge down there crossing over the state lines. Somebody that's around there probably know better than me, but all of a sudden like the bus like starts sputtering and something it's actually, you know, Luke Farrell is actually the one who's like, huh, what if the bus breaks down right here? <laughs> and all of a sudden we get to the top of the, the bridge and you just, and like just completely dies, but we rolled to the bottom of the bridge and it broke down. So obviously we're sitting in there and obviously it's hot. The bus is not on. So naturally the AC is not working. So it's just kind of slowly getting hotter, slowly getting hotter. And I mean, it just gets to the point where everybody on the bus is in their underwear. Their underwear is soaked. Like we've been on this bus for hours, like seriously, like, and it's like, okay, like something outside has to be better. Cause I think it was like starting to sprinkle. We're like, okay, maybe the rain's at least a little bit, you know, anyways, as soon as you step outside we're next to like this, like swamp area, just like I'm telling you thousands of mosquitoes, just getting absolutely <laughs> eaten alive by mosquitoes. <laughs> it's unbelievable like you step outside say okay inside is better but then of course because we opened the door the mosquitoes flooded in oh no like i'm telling you these mosquitoes are like just drinking your blood they get to be this big and you're smacking them on the thing and it's just like a spot of blood on your arm this big you're like okay these aren't normal mosquitoes anyways that (laughs) happened and so then finally another bus came like okay we got another bus but this bus can only take us to like a gas station that's an hour away where another bus will meet us in like three hours. So we, we get on this bus and we're unloading all the stuff. And as we're unloading it, we don't realize it, but somebody stepped in a fire ant hill and drug fire ants onto the new bus. And so they just start oh, eating everybody's no. legs up on the way to the gas station. Like, oh. it's like, all right, lift your legs up off the seat. Just got to this gas station and it was like a truck stop. So I think it was like, Everybody on the bus took a shower, and I think it was like an $18 shower. It's the best $18 I've ever spent in my life to this day. <laughs> and anyways, this bus ended up making it to us, and the other bus was like a smaller bus, less seats. We were like too deep, just like knees to the back of the seat, all the way back to Lexington, Kentucky from like Savannah, Georgia. So that was probably another 10 hours. And then we, we got back at like, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. Thankfully, it was an off day, so... Yeah, that was a wild, long story, but it was a horror story for sure. Dude, I, hey, it didn't throw you off, right? Seven starts, you had a one one eight ERA in Lexington, <laughs> so you were fine. 
Well, you know, Lexington, I remember vividly in Lexington, the mound in Lexington was about 16 <laughs> feet high. So you just throw sinkers and just ground balls to shortstop every time. Like it was just like, just thrown off of a mountain. I could just throw sinkers in the bottom of the zone and just get ground balls. Man, hey. how about how about we had we had Mills? We had two. We had a we had two consecutive trips this year. First trip, sleeper buses. First trip, bus breaks down. You know, no whatever breaks down. No big deal. Turns a six hour trip into a thirteen hour trip. Second second trip, like literally not exaggerating. Next bus trip. So what? Two weeks later. Three weeks later. Uh. Same bus, same bus driver. Breaks down. <laughs> that sounds, that now, sounds like a lot on, of card playing went on. So a little bit of card playing went on. This is where it gets fun. We pulled off. We're at the side of the highway, and we were, it was after – I want to say it was after a day game. So, like, it wasn't super late, but it was dark at this point. We pull the guy – we were stuck on the side of the highway, and I don't know how we did this. Somebody figured out that there was an Uber Eats driver that would bring us Taco Bell. <laughs> so we got like three orders of Taco Bell and it was the same driver. And after the third one, somebody wrote in there like, to the Taco Bell. They wrote, hey, our buses broke down. Here's what I want. They threw in an extra like 40 tacos. <laughs> How much did you guys tip that Uber guy? Probably probably a couple hundred bucks from going back. Yeah, we just said, yeah, we were just like the third time she came through, we're like, all right, yeah, yeah, we you're definitely just waiting for us at this point. Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty that was pretty good. Hey, uh I I want to fast forward a lot because uh, I I wonder what the mound was like in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. right? At, at AM Fam in 2020. Um dude, I mean Alec Mills throwing a no-hitter. That obviously, you know, that's that's the career highlight there, but you know, was there something about that day? Like, what what was going on that that made that possible for you? Oh, I mean, a little bit of everything, a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, a little bit of kind of settling in after a not so sharp start. Um, I mean, the list could go on and on of things that happened the right at the right time. You know, it, it obviously takes a little bit of luck to throw one, uh, but it also takes some skill. I mean, and and obviously, I didn't strike out fifteen guys. It wasn't you know an overpowering start but I'm never going to do that I never will and that's just right. not the type of pitcher that I am it's not the type of you know pitch arsenal that I have you know but but at the same time I think because I was able to attack and get get contact early that's why I was able to go deep and go nine innings in a game but I mean it's like I said perfect storm um early on wasn't as sharp as I'd like to be had a couple of hits I think I remember specifically like Yelich hit a ball to Schwarber on the line in the left field that was probably hit you know, easily over a hundred and it was a really good play by Schwarber. Um, Hap made a play in center field up against the wall. I think it was Jed Jerko hit it probably once again, hit well above a hundred, caught it on the wall in center field. Um, those are the two hits that I remember specifically that were hit very hard. You know, obviously ground balls measure pretty hard. So I had some ground balls that were hit hard, but it's right at guys. So it's not really a stressful out, but I would say from like maybe the fourth inning, fifth inning on, I kind of, figured something out mechanically, kind of slowed myself down, got in line a little better, um, and, and really sharpened up as the game went on. I mean, I think probably sixth, seventh, eighth inning was probably the best I'd thrown in a long time. And obviously it was at the right time, so thankful for that. But, uh, you know, just wild. I think it didn't didn't really hit me until probably coming off the mound in the seventh inning is when it's like, oh, okay, this can't happen today. Like, you know, I think I walked off, and I don't remember exactly how many pitches I was at, but, 
after the seventh inning, it was probably like mid eighties or something. And I'm like, Ooh, like this might be able to happen. It's not like, you're after, you know, you're, you're not after seven innings at 110 pitches. It's like, Ooh, okay. Like if I'm Thank efficient you, here, like this could happen, you know? So that's when it was like, that's when it was like, Ooh, okay. Now I'm a little nervous. Like, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully in Milwaukee. Um, so the, the locker room is, I mean, TD 20 steps from the dugout. So I was able yeah. to go in and sit in like my big comfy chair you know, kind of rock and lean back and kind of, I guess, release some of the tension, release some of the anxiety and kind of go into an air-conditioned environment. Um, obviously, I didn't have to deal with too much of a crowd. There was uh, zero people there that day. But, uh, you know, it's it's obviously, like you said, a moment that is, you know, the peak of my career so far. But uh, I'll never forget it. I'm not sure I've really sat down and watched it yet. I'm not sure it's really hit me yet, to be honest with you. But uh, that's all right. Maybe it will later. Yeah. You know, I'm sure some people have comments about that there not being people there when you threw it. But my opinion would be that it's, if not harder, it's just as hard to throw with nobody. Might be harder. Like playing in those big league stadiums with nobody there, it's incredible. It's it's such a different environment, especially somewhere like Milwaukee where you're inside. Like you can't say anything to your friend without the the guy on the other side of the field hearing you. It's it's incredible. And obviously in Milwaukee, I'm going to ruffle some feathers, but I mean, it's pretty much home ta- home team for us, home field for us, because we, we, I mean, you know, it is what it is. There's a lot of Cubs fans in Milwaukee. I think there's a lot of Cubs fans that live in Milwaukee, but there's also a lot of Cubs fans that drive up there. It's an hour and a half drive. And Easy. I mean, it's probably a cheaper ticket if we're also being honest. So, you know, that's kind yeah. of a better way to watch a Cubs game if you really want to. So, I mean, like I said, it's not like I was going to be in a harsh, you know, road environment. It was going to be, kind of at least 50-50. Um, and, and, and yeah, like TD said, you, you, yeah, I mean, like and like TD said, I mean, you know, in that sixth, seventh inning when it's starting to get crazy, it would have been awesome. It would have been, you know, maybe uplifting, maybe, you know. To have a little chatter would, behind yeah, you so, and not yeah. just be silent <laughs> and hear your own thoughts for three yeah. innings. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, I mean, you if, give you, up that hit, if you give up that hit, do you know how much you're yelling at yourself inside oh, for three innings? The whole, the, yeah, the whole stadium would have heard what was saying probably, but. I mean, yeah, it was so quiet. Like, if you farted on the man, you'd be able to hear it. So, it's just one of those things. You know, you bring up a great point about, you know, Miller Park or American Family Field just kind of being Wrigley North because of the Cubs fan base. And, you know, you guys both have experience playing for the Cubs, being in the Cubs organization. And, you know, whenever you talk to a baseball fan around the country, if they are over 40 years old, chances are they were watching Harry Carey at some point on WGN because they were broadcast nationally. And you're from Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, obviously, you grew up a baseball fan. So I'm not sure if if you picked one. Um, who were you a fan of growing up? Was it regional? Well, so, I mean, around here and and – it's either Braves, Cardinals, or, some feathers, Mills. <laughs> sometimes Reds, but gotcha. so my, my dad, actually, my mom and dad grew up in Illinois. My mom grew up in a suburb of Chicago. So I actually grew up a Cubs fan. So there you go. It's uh it's been a surreal moment um, or a surreal feeling, I guess, playing for them. But it's, uh, I mean, yeah, I grew up watching WGN. I, I wasn't old enough to really hear, hear Harry Carey. Um, but yeah, no, I grew up watching WGN. I grew up watching, you know, Aramis Ramirez, Moises Alou, Sammy Sosa, you know, Kerry Wood, Matt Clement, Mark Pryor, all those guys. I mean, it was, so that was the team that I grew up watching. So it's been kind of crazy, at least pitching in Wrigley Field and, and knowing the history behind it. And when you, you know, had you had that, 
sorry, you know, when you when you had that like, oh crap, I'm pitching for the Chicago Cubs moment, like that was probably insane. I guess what does it mean to you, the baseball fan, the lifelong baseball person, to play for the Chicago Cubs, to have played for the Chicago Cubs? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously something that's special, and Chicago will always hold a you know special place in my in my heart, and it's kind of been the beginning of my career. You know, obviously, I had like you said, a cup of coffee with Kansas City, but I mean, I think I had three outings there, and none of them were very memorable. So, like, I mean, really, it's just just been Chicago or nothing for me right now. Like, I, you know, I have a Chicago flag hanging in my basement. You know, so it's it's obviously a place that that I hold near and dear, and and. Love the city. You know, my sons grew up in the city during the seasons. Like that's, he knows Tennessee and he knows Chicago. So he doesn't know anything else. And, and you know, so always be a special place and, and, and definitely, definitely something that I'll never forget. You know, I think something that, that there's all types of positives that people talk about with, with Wrigley and the Cubs, right? And like going to games to watch games there, playing games there. You even ask like a bunch of players will tell you that Chicago is their favorite place that they go, that they go play at. Um, one, like, you know, I'll tell you my, like my aha moment was like, I, I remember the first time I got called up and the first time I got to Wrigley, I remember walking out there and it was just, it was just the fact that like thinking about all the guys that had walked out on that field and the fact that you were going to walk on the same grass that those dudes were going to walk on, you know, that was really cool. But one thing that I don't think enough people talk about, and it's for me is the reason that, that playing for the Cubs is so special and playing. Uh, at Wrigley is so cool is that every for the most part every other team when they schedule a day game it's middle of the week it's to mean nothing there is never a day game in Wrigley that's not sold out it is the coolest thing in baseball is playing a day game at Wrigley Field and I believe that I, I just because it's so unique for a play for a player like nowhere else you go are you gonna have a sold out day game unless it's the end of September um so you know i think that is what makes chicago so cool the other thing like from a player's perspective is that like because we play so many games we get to go to dinner with our families a lot and that is something that you know a lot of people talk about you'll hear players say that in a negative way also don't get me wrong like that is definitely something that in the past people have not liked was that we play so many day games there's so many day games in a night game whatever um so it's you're waking up early a lot I mean, there's no doubt it's a different schedule than in most other teams. But I've always said that the reason I like spring training so much is because I get to go to dinner with my family. And it's 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 um, normal. It's normal. Right. Like you get to have this normal uh, day with your family, just like any other person working a job would that that you don't get to have anywhere else. And I think that that's a cool perk uh, that doesn't get talked about. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean not much beats a Friday afternoon game at Wrigley. You know, you get like, it's funny because to me, it's almost the most rowdy time. Cause you know, Friday, Friday afternoon is when all the business dudes take, take the second half of the day off and they're in, they're there in their dress shirts. They undo their tie. It's buttoned down halfway down, especially in the summer. Yeah. They're sweating their butt off and they're a couple like, of beers. Yeah. And they're like, six old, styles, they're six old styles deep, just, just <laughs> in, in the opposing team's ear, just in, I mean, and it's just, it's so much fun. And, and obviously the bleachers are a special place. And, and, you know, I spent some time in the bullpen and getting to walk out there and, and, you know, obviously hear, hearing some of the stuff that's said and seeing some of the stuff that's going on, you know, obviously it, it's just, it's a fun place out there. So. 
The other thing, like with the stadium, with the stadium itself, uh, if you think about I, the way, the best way I try to explain to people is if you think about old basketball arenas compared to new basketball arenas, Yeah. if you go to watch like the one that I use, I live in Indiana. So the one I use is Indiana university. If you go to Indiana university and you go to the basketball arena and you go to the top of the arena, you are just as close to the court as the person sitting next to the court. It just goes straight up. Right. The new arenas, they go out. They seat more people, but they go outwards. So the people are farther away from you. The same thing has happened in baseball. Wrigley Field, every single fan is right on top of you. It's a cool thing. It's a it's a pro and a con. It's really cool if you're playing there, and if they like you, it's not cool if you're not from there. <laughs> um, but I do think that's just another interesting thing that's really neat. Like I remember the first my first at bat in Wrigley, I didn't think anything of it it was like all right whatever it's just another at bat and my second at bat in Wrigley I was like oh my gosh and I like I felt everybody's heartbeat that I could hear everybody's pulse that was standing near me like everybody in the first row I could have told you what they had for lunch um <laughs> you know so it's, it's just another cool aspect of Wrigley what was it like pitching there in that type of environment it was good it was good yeah I had a scoreless inning um I was gonna say TD you go first no I was gonna be <laughs> yeah. like TD you go first Hey, you had yeah, a I, play, right? You had didn't you have I, like a sports center type play? I mean, it's not a big deal. I but. mean, I said it was a sports center type play. I tweeted it at Stroman because he had a similar play that year. Stroman <laughs> didn't feel that way. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, I guess he was scared of my athletic abilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it was one of those things where, like, I just felt like a true pitcher, man. I really grinded. I really grinded to get there. You know, I got the bases loaded with nobody out. I had to grind back. I had to come back. Uh, no, but Jack, I don't even know. You probably don't even know this, but the cool part about me pitching in Wrigley was it was the first time that Schwarber had caught since he got hurt. Oh, I love so that. Yeah. The whole thing I, we were losing and, and, and Mills will attest to this, but I tell people all the time, I love pitching, like being the position player to pitch. I love it, but it's a really difficult, uh, line to, to walk depending on where you're at, because typically you are getting demolished. Right. And so, like, for me, that was late in the year. I'm playing on a team that's going to go to the playoffs. Like, we're getting beat 18 to 1 or whatever it was. Like, you don't really want to be super positive coming out and happy and, like, pump. Um, but you do because it's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I tell everybody that, yeah, I got a standing ovation as a, as a pitcher in Wrigley Field. No big deal. No big deal. Shit. All right. Now the question well, for the yeah, actual yeah. pitcher. What's it like? Yeah, the real pitcher. <laughs> well, you know, it's obviously – and I think it'll go back on the – the moment like you know i looked up the first uh, first or second time i looked up and you see the harry carry sign up there that's kind of when it's like oh this is really field like that's when it was like oh this is where i'm at like okay this is really cool and then you know as much as i guess this is more of a bullpen thing but as much as it's kind of some people don't like having the bullpen inside some people do underneath the bleachers but like when you're coming out of the bullpen and it's a big situation, like you don't hear anything. And then as soon as you hit, as soon as you hit the morning track, like you just hear everything. It's just boom. Like, and it's a really, really, really cool moment. Like it's just something that I don't think you get anywhere else because like I said, you're not going from inside to outside. I don't think maybe, I guess there's some places with an indoor part to the bullpen, but I'm not sure that I've been to a place where you actually throw yeah, indoors anybody, and then come is, outside. Is anybody else? Is anybody else inside? I, don't I think, think so. New York has like an indoor area. A couple places have San indoor Diego's areas. San Diego's got like an indoor Detroit, area. Detroit, yeah. yeah. I mean, but but um, so it's definitely special in that aspect. And it's really cool. But uh, you know, like TD said it best. I mean, 
they just they're they're so behind the Cubs. It's just a special place, like you know. And and I think they're also very very aware of situations that they need to be in the game. Like you know, it'll be like yeah, the fourth yeah. inning, but if it's a big situation where you need to get out of this inning, it's a big momentum you know big momentum shift, or you know, we just scored three runs and I need a zero, you know, and I need to get this, you know it's a big moment in the fourth inning and they realize that. And sometimes they'll, you know, they'll really let you know and stand up and, and, and finish out the cheer and, you know, really help you get through the rest of the inning. So it's definitely a special place to pitch for sure. Hey, Alan you know, Mills. one place I, yeah. go ahead. you go, no, I was going to say one place it's interesting. Cause I always, whenever people ask me uh, my favorite places in the minor leagues to play, one place I always bring up that kind of shocks people is Omaha. I really like playing in Omaha, but one of the reasons I like playing there, is because I think they're really good baseball fans. They cheer when they should. They boo when they should. Yeah. Uh, they're not booing their own team at the wrong time. I mean, they're not cheering they for the other team at the, the right storm, time. So. They stir up. They still stir up the storm. <laughs> I witnessed it many times this year. Uh, but they, you know, I, I think that you see that in Chicago. Like, they're in certain cities, like, yeah. Uh, this. thankfully, I'm not a Cub and I'm a free agent, and I can say this, but like St. Louis. St. Louis is absolutely one of the best baseball oh, no, cities they, in America. They, they, it is. I mean, I, and, even and if you are a Cub, you have to acknowledge that, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, those fans, those fans get it. You know, there's few places that are like that. Like, I, you know, I think, I'm sure Yankees fans are great, and they travel as, as good as anybody, but they're very volatile, right? Like, yeah. they, you know, there's a reason that the Cubs have had such – quality fans for as long as they have and it's because the fans care about baseball not just the cubs and i think that says something about the city i think that says something about a lot of stuff but that's another reason that it makes it cool to play there 100 um hey alec mills last one for me is about your pitch mix um you know you're you're a guy that's what sinker at eight, right i mean but it's it's sinker at 89 you, you mix it a four seam at 89 you're a five pitch guy and, you know, so many – the thing, the sexy thing about pitching, right, is the driveline and treads of the world where you're trying to maximize velo, you're trying to maximize spin. You know, obviously a sinker is not a high spin pitch. But, you know, I, I'm curious, like, when did you really get comfortable with who you are as a pitcher? Because obviously so many kids growing up constantly strive to get to that 90-mile-an-hour club or the 95 club if they are that good, like – when were you comfortable with where you are and stop trying to be something that you were never going to be? You know, it's, it's uh, when I was coming up in Kansas city, I was a different type pitcher. I mean, I threw, I threw quite a bit harder when I was coming up in the minor leagues. You know, I, uh, I was the kind of the, the top prospect, well, not top prospect, but I was on the prospect list coming up and, and, you know, I threw, you know, 93, 94, 95, 96, you know, I had that in the tank. So, uh, but I didn't really become the pitcher I am until I probably came over to Chicago, you know, and I think I'm a much better pitcher now than I was then, even though I probably had better stuff, you know, per se. But, uh, you know, I think to your point, I think it was a situation coming into, especially with somebody like, you know, Kyle Hendricks here or, you know, a John Lester type guy that didn't necessarily have, you know, the, the blow you away stuff, but both obviously knew how to pitch both have had, incredibly successful careers. I mean, John Lester is one of the best playoff pitchers of all time. Probably, you know, up there in, uh, you know, a handful of four or five that you can name. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and and they just knew how to pitch and they knew how to, you know, get guys out and, and, and to attack swings and to attack, you know, mindsets and, and game plans. And, you know, I think it's something that I'm struggling with right now is, is at least in my head is, is kind of, you know, when you first get up, you have success. And a lot of guys do this, and it, and it can last a year or maybe even two years, but then the league will catch up to you. 
And especially for a guy like me, like I'm not going to be able to, you know, it's <laughs> the league's never going to catch up to you if you throw 98 with a high spin rate in the top of the zone. Like you can tell them it's coming and they're not going to hit it well. It's just, that's just baseball. That's just the nature of the game these, this day, you know, these days. But, you know, the game's going to catch up to you. And, and, and I think I've kind of struggled with maybe changing how I pitch or changing, you know, certain types of pitches to certain sides of the plate, you know, and TD obviously can have a lot of insight on that being a catcher and, and, and how things work and, and him being a hitter too. And, and how you see certain pitches or how you, uh, you know, attack certain things, but it's like, and I think, you know, I kind of really, really recognize this. Maybe, I guess it wasn't this year. I was hurt all year, but the year before that with, uh, you know, I kind of sat down with a coach and it's like, and I guess you could say, you know, anybody that's, you know, watches baseball, you know, if you want a ground ball to shortstop, like, I guess, what would be the pitch that you would throw? Like, I think most people would be like, okay, like sinker in or, or you know, like a slider or something that's going to get them out front. But like, for me, at least, I've noticed that I'm going to get more ground balls on like a sinker away or a changeup away, just because a lot of times when a sinker's in, it gets, it gets elevated. It's, it's more of a fly ball left field or like a broken bat single over the shortstop's head. But I want the guy to get the swing that's going out and getting it, but then he's out front. That's your ground ball to the third baseman or shortstop that you want. So it's kind of one learning what makes me good, but then also learning a new way to pitch. You know, like, like I said, I always, I mean, I came up and it was like, Oh, sinker in sinker in that's, that's my game. That's what I do. Well, that's what I mean. And, that being said, that's there's still very much a place for that in the game and can very much get ground balls, but there's obviously different types of hitters and stuff like that. So I think that I think that that game calling as a whole comes down the best game callers in the world. And and me and Alec have been around one. Uh, there's a guy that's been in the that's been a part of that was a part of the Cubs for a long time um, that helped with game calling that I truly believe was one of the best ever at, at writing scattered reports and, and helping with game plans. And the 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 like making a game plan is all about implementing the pitcher's strengths and the hitter's weaknesses, right? Like, no, but that's not a question. Everybody understands that. Yeah. The question is, where do you implement the pitcher's strengths and where do you implement the hitter's weaknesses? And the best people at writing game plans do that better. Um, it's because a very there fine are, line, that's for sure. No doubt, no doubt, right? Like, and I think that's where guys with where guys that have too good of stuff get in trouble, and it's where guys that don't have very good stuff get in trouble because guys that don't have very good stuff get in trouble by saying, okay, I'm going to trust going against the hitter. And guys with really good stuff say, hey, I'm going to trust too much going with myself. Uh, I think that before I get into that more, though, one thing I want to comment on that you talked about that I that I love is like one thing that you hear that, that we hear our whole lives is like stay within yourself, right? Like your whole life as an athlete, you hear stay within yourself, stay within yourself. Right. I think that part of growing up and part of – in baseball – Part of part of growing up in baseball and part of um, becoming who be being able to do that is understanding who you like understanding that you don't have to be person A to get to the big leagues. Like I specifically remember watching Wilson Contreras play. The first, honestly, the first guy I watched, like when I watched Javi and Chris and those guys, and it's like, dude, I'm never gonna be as good as those guys. <laughs> and at first, that was and at, and at first that was scary. That was a terrifying thing. Like. Javi's the, one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he's a freak. And Chris and Chris, and Chris Bryant has – I tell people he has perfected hitting the ball over the fence. He doesn't take the best VPs by no means. But every fence, he knows how to hit the ball five feet over it. I don't, I don't get it. But I remember watching Wilson Contreras, who's in my position, and I just remember thinking like, man, 
I am never going to be able to do the things that Wilson does. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to be a quality baseball player. Right. That just means that I'm not going to be Wilson Contreras, and that's okay. And I think that was hard for me to, like, take that, like, man, like, hey, I got to admit that this guy's better than me. That's okay. That was okay for me. But I think that's a big part of, like, stay within yourself. That's how you do it. You understand who you are and you perfect that guy. Um, going back to game calling, though, I think that uh, you hear you'll hear from a lot of guys that if they if they lose velo, you know, Mills didn't want to say this, but he was ninety three, ninety five. He was hitting ninety seven before he got hurt. So he went from ninety seven to a guy now that's averaging eighty nine, and he's still a major league pitcher. Like that says more to me about Alec Mills than somebody that threw ninety seven and pitched in the big leagues for six years. Yeah. Um, it's more impressive and. It shows me that that guy cares and that guy that guy did the research and that guy did all of that, right? Um, he brought up Kyle Hendricks, who I'll say this about Kyle Hendricks. Like, his nickname's a professor. Truly, to this day, still have never met anybody that studied hitters more than that guy. Um, and, and the crazy thing is, even with the new media, he does it the old school way, he does it the new school way, but he does it on his own. And he really does. He, he does as much research on hitters as anybody I've ever met. Um, but I, I think that, you know, Alec really came into his own when he decided exactly what he said a second ago. Like, look, I'm not throwing as hard as I can now. Let's figure out how to best utilize my weapons. And we did that. The, the story I always tell about Alec, because I think it's so indicative of where we are in today's game, is I'll never forget this. I'm sure you remember this, Mills. But we're throwing a bullpen, and uh, we had a, a pitching coordinator come in, Brennan Segara, who – uh, was the assistant pitching coach with Texas either last year or the year before, maybe both years. Um, he's bounced around a little bit, was a pitching coordinator with Miami. Okay. Really, really intelligent guy. But I remember him and Rod Nichols watching a bullpen, and I, I always tried to catch Alec. And Alec, is, you know, like you said, he was a, he's a sinker changeup guy. Like, if he's got a good curveball, he's got a good slider. But the reality was, to lefties, he was sinker changeup. And to righties, we were fastball slider, mixing in the curveball to both early in counts. And I just remember him coming up in the middle of this bullpen and going, okay, I, I, we're going to talk about it. Like you shouldn't be throwing sinkers away to lefties. And, and I remember like, I like looked up and I'm like, what are we doing? And we both kind of questioned it. Sigara had the numbers on hand, like right there. And he goes, look, when you throw a sinker away to a lefty, the, uh, I think, I think like the slugging, not the OPS, the slugging was over one. And no, I think you're going to make me look terrible over here. (laughs) Taylor's kind of being an asshole, right? No, I think, (laughs) no, but I think in all honesty, truthfully, I think the slugging was legit, like, like 880 or like nine. It was, it was was like, it was was like, Uh, it was like, oh, so they're hitting a home run every time on this pitch. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Let's not throw that pitch. You know, it's like, yeah. And then he, and then he was like, but by the way, you can throw a four seam in the exact same location and their slugging is like 150. So let's just do that. But I just remember because I looked at Alec and I go, all right, Alec, uh, don't even throw it in the bullpen anymore because you're going to hit a double. So let's just bang that completely. Like that's out of the realm. It was just funny. I just, it's just well, funny remember, because well, like. And that goes back to what I was saying is like, and you know, that was in AAA and who knows what year, 17, 18. I don't remember, but, and, and I kind of went all in like, okay, four seamers to lefties. Let's do that. And it worked for like two or three years. But now, like I was saying, They've kind of caught back caught up, up to that now. Like four seams to lefties is starting to get hit hard. So it's like, okay, now 
when do I go back to this or when do, you know, so that's, it's definitely a it's struggle. A, it's and, a game, and like yeah. I said, it's easier for some people to do it than others, but it's obviously, and it's, it's what I love most. I know it's what TD loves most, like just the, just the, all the thinking, all the, the studying, all that, like, that's what makes this game so much fun. You'll, so you'll much love fun. this. Like, like, we, we had a, we had a guy last year that, that, uh, when he warmed, he was a reliever and when he warmed up, he would, he was like really over the top. He was a forcing curveball guy. And when he warmed up, he would like occasionally came up to me and he was like, Hey, I want to start throwing uh, cutters in my warmups before the innings. And I said, but you don't throw a cutter. And he goes, I know that's the beauty. I'm going to screw up the hitters. And I, I just, I said, all right. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> so, so, so he, he would like, he would throw like two pitches in warmups. Then he would wait. He would wait and he would just stare at the guy that was getting ready to hit. And he, and as soon as he was watching him throw, he would call a cutter and throw a forcing fastball. And I looked at him and I said, like, you realize that after the game, they're going to look, they're going to see that you throw zero cutters. You've never thrown a cutter in your life, right? All it takes is a little <laughs> bit of doubt. Yeah. I don't, it's just funny. It's just funny because the, the numbers are there. And I think that's the part that, like, the people, the people that played 30, you know, 30, 40 years ago, some even 20 years ago, like, I don't necessarily think that all of that is getting determined. Like, we talked to some people that will tell you that, that, the fastball numbers weren't broken down into two seam and four seam until, you know, 15 years ago. Like up until that, it was just the guy threw a fastball. a fastball. Yeah. It was a fastball. So you weren't prepping for anything else, which, you know, that's, those are two really different pitches. Yeah. So especially nowadays. Yeah. I mean, guys that can spin it, you know, you got the cut, the cut ride fastball and you got the, you know, the rise fastball and then obviously sinkers. So it's, yeah, there's, they're very much a different pitch. Yeah. About that. Hey, Taylor, you got anything else? I don't know. Do we got any good story? You got any good stories, Mills? You got anything you want to say? <laughs> uh, shoot. Me and TD could get here. We could be here all day talking if you let us, but. Um, I know. No, man, I mean, nothing awesome. pops in my head. I should have. No, I, I, I really, I really think that, that one thing that, and one reason that me and Alec have, have gotten along for a long time, and one reason that, that we continue to stay friends is that I think that we both believe in, in one overarching policy in baseball, and that's that you have to love it and have fun doing it. I yeah. think that both of us, um, I, I don't know that you're going to find a pitcher and a position player in baseball that have more fun playing the game than me and Alec. Um, awesome. And I think that. I preach this to when I talk to, you know, young kids, however old, whoever, whoever I talk to, like I preach that you got to have fun doing it. And Alec, I think, I think guys have fun watching you do it. I think that you have just as much fun watching yourself do it. I think it's, you know, I think that's one reason we've always really gotten along. Um, And, you know, on air, I'll, I don't know that I've ever congratulated you on a sick career because it is awesome. And it's, it's been tight to, to watch you go out there and do all this fun stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun to keep doing it. And uh no, thanks for thanks for coming on and that was that was fun. This is exactly what I thought it was gonna be. So no, it, absolutely. It was I mean, you know, who who knows if the cards end up right this year, we might be on the same team again. So that yeah, let's that, hope. Let's only hope. We, <laughs> let's uh, only hope. Then our kids can be throwing partners. I tell it like, you know, I got my son doing blocking drills three days a week. We're putting them in we got <laughs> I got him headed to a uh, a weightlifter, uh, more than me. Um, I got him doing yeah. 200 swings with the uh, wiffle ball bat, so well, he'll be ready. So what I always, what I, what I always say is baseball is just such a cruel sport. I'm getting him into golf. Forget that, you know. Uh-huh. It's like, 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's because you've played in the big leagues for five years. You can afford to have your kid get into golf, all right? <laughs> Alex, some of us, some of us, got to send our kids to t-ball. Well, and you know what else is? Is my son's probably not going to be athletic enough to be anything but a pitcher, so he's really <laughs> handcuffing himself into a, into a certain position. <laughs> That's the I other tell, thing. Alec loves it. I tell everybody that I'm the most una- I'm the most athletic, unathletic guy you'll ever meet in your entire life. Within 20 yards, 30 yards, I'm pretty good. I'll put I'll put a football where you want it. I'm pretty good at cornhole. Backyard sports, I'm great. Yeah. Outside of 30 yards, though, we're in trouble. That 60 yard dash was not <laughs> it for me. <laughs> man, hey Alec, no, I really think, appreciate you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- I think I, I meant to say it earlier, but we were just got to talking. But TD said something about it. But I think this may not make any sense to anybody. But I think TD will get it, and I think you will too, Jack. But like, yeah. I think he said it best: is you, you know, you mature enough to realize that there's a lot of guys that are better than you in this game. But just because they're better than you doesn't mean that you can be, you can't be just as good as them. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But like, you're not good enough. And T and T like because uh, you know especially with how fast I throw and but like I would venture to say that ninety five percent of the guys in the league are better than me when it, on paper all this stuff but that doesn't mean that I can't just have I can't be as good as them and have as much success as them you know obviously you're not good I, enough I, to do it absolutely yeah so I don't know if that makes any sense but I think that's a pretty good thing to end on so so from the non player perspective from the outsider perspective looking in on the sport it makes a lot of sense because baseball is one of those unique sports and I think football is very similar to that right you watch the world cup soccer everybody is going to run circles around you like their cardio strength is unparalleled in the NBA everybody's cut the same one of them 62 one of them 611 but they all look the same baseball Daniel Vogelbach and Giancarlo Stanton are both DHs. You know what I mean? Like, that's the beauty of the sport, right? It's amazing. And they can both OPS around 800. You know, obviously, that's a down year for Giancarlo, but that's what I'm saying. It's an up year for Vogelbach. Right, but, but, you know, like, you can look at two guys that look so unbelievably different than each other, and they can put up identical results, and that's the beauty of baseball. I think that's why everybody falls in love with R.A. Dickey, and I think that's why everybody loved when you threw that no-hitter in 2020. So really appreciate you, man. And that's that's a great sentiment to end this podcast. That is awesome. Thank you, Mills. Absolutely, yeah. I enjoyed it.